Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. We continue our study here. And don't forget that Moses here, he's an old man. Old man Moses. And he's giving very sobering words, very comforting words, very sobering words, very stern words, but very necessary. Incredibly necessary because the children of Israel, this generation that's going to pass into the promised land, they need to know. They need to know how the Lord, the, the, the desire of the Lord. And Moses, when he says this, let's kick off here in verse one, chapter 30, 30, Deuteronomy chapter, uh, chapter 30, verse one. He says, now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse. You see, it's not just blessing only. A lot of times we like to get in a position where it's like, wow, you know, we want the blessings of the Lord. We want the blessings of the Lord, which is beautiful. And we want the blessings only. We want the blessings only because it's for our benefit. It's for our good. And we like to operate within this framework of only the good, only the good, only the good. But don't forget that there's also the curse. And the, the, how things hinge is based on obedience. That's how it is Old Testament, New Testament, even today. It's how we respond to the Lord in obedience or disobedience. I mean, you know, you think like, well, how, how could God want bad for people? Now, don't think that way. He doesn't want bad for people. He wants good for people. But understand that, you know, we have in this world, we have examples of corruption where like a parent will say, yes, son, yes, daughter, I want good for you. So go ahead and lie. And, you know, I know you're, you know, you're, you're, you're 16 years old. You got bulging muscles and you got a full grown beard, you know, like, you know, you're 16 years old. But let's lie to the guy at Disneyland so you can get cheap tickets. You know, kids, kids get in free, kids fly free. Let's lie to the, to the, uh, airline industry. Let's lie to Disneyland just so you can get it free. And yes, son, yes, daughter, I want, well, you know, daughter's not going to have a full beard, but you know, uh, the, the, the son, see, you know, got the bulging muscles. He's got the full grown beard. Hey, okay, son. He's got a little mustache. Okay, son, let's lie. You know, I want good things for you. I want you to be able to travel with us to uh, to Southern California. I want you to be able to have a good time at Disneyland. So go ahead and lie. Go ahead and say this little white lie. Kids fly free. This little white lie. You get cheap tickets into Disneyland. This little white lie. You get half off your lunch, half off your dinner. And look, it's a blessing for you because you get to enjoy Disneyland. You get to eat. Nice full belly. It's a blessing for us because we don't have to pay top dollar. And look, it's a blessing. Look, it's good. It's good. It's good. That's corruption. That's corruption of man. Now, with the Lord... He is not corrupt. He's not going to bless through lies. He's not going to bless through bending the truth. He's not going to bless through the little white lies. He doesn't operate that way. It's mankind. We have all these worldly examples. I mean, in corrupt court systems, you know, a guy can commit an egregious crime. You see, and then, you know, what do they do? They start, you know, uh, 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 shopping for their uh, their jury. You know, they put the jury in place, everything in their favor, pay off the judge, a little little bit of cash flow under the table. 
They do all, you know, they go through their spiel. Two day, three day, four day, a week, say two weeks. It's a long, long trial. But the whole thing is just for show. It's a farce. You see, you know, we find the defendant not guilty. Boom, he's paid off. You know, he paid, he paid off and he gets off scot-free. That's a corrupt court system. We have these worldly examples. You know, say, oh, okay, the guy's off scot-free. Wow, look, it's good for him. He's not going to go to prison. He's got good now. Now he can go see his wife and kids. Now he can go, you know, do his Disneyland deal, you know, cheap tickets or, you know, kids fly free. Now he can do all those things. But look at the corruption. Look at the corruption. Corrupt judge. Corrupt jury. Everything's corrupted. The lawyers, they made a lot of money out of the deal. They made it, you know, corruption. Now you can look at it from a carnal perspective and be like, well, look, it's good for him because he's not going to prison. Oh, it's good for him because he can be with his wife and kids. Oh, it's good for them because they can go to Disneyland. They can lie about their age and kids fly free. Kids get in free and all these things. Oh, look, it's good for them. Now, in a very carnal sense, and I'll even stretch it a little bit and say in a very wicked sense. It has this appearance of good. But is it good? In the eyes of the Lord. You see? We have to understand both blessing and curse. Because it helps us. Understanding the nature and character of the Lord. It helps us grow and mature in Him. And understanding that He is the potter. We are the clay. He says, this is, remember, old man Moses to this younger generation. He says, when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you. Now, remember here, it's, it's number one, both blessing and curse. Both blessing and curse. And when, you know, when we have that in mind and when we keep that in mind, both, not just blessing, not just blessing, not just curse. Both blessing and curse. And when it is, it says here in verse 1, you call them to mind, which is to return both to the mind, both the blessing, both the curse, to the mind and to the heart. Now, understand when he says here in verse 1, you call them to mind. You have this recollection. He says, uh, you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. It's very beautiful, very interesting and very beautiful to see how the Lord says this, that it's in the place where God drives you. The place where God drives you. Both good and bad, understand. Both good and bad. Because when Israel is in Jerusalem, good. When, when Israel is in Babylon, bad. You see? And when Israel is in Jerusalem, that is when there is a propensity to forget. When Israel is in Babylon, there is a propensity to remember. You see? What about us? It's the same. When everything's beautiful in life, when everything is, is fine and dandy, there is a propensity to forget. Why? Because everything's fine and dandy. Everything's fine and dandy. It's like, okay, you know, you, it's very 
not, I don't want to say easy, but it can be easy, but there is an increased propensity to forget the goodness of the Lord. But then when things go bad, when death is imminent, like, you know, you, you know, you, uh, something happens where it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I gotta, I gotta, uh, you know, I'm gonna lose my house. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna lose my job. Oh my goodness, I'm having a heart attack and I could be dead in two hours. Oh my goodness, or whatever it is. It's in those moments where, you know, people, they, 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 they seek the Lord. But the time to seek the Lord is, wait a second. I mean, it's not to say that it's bad to seek the Lord in those moments. But to understand that there is a propensity to forget the goodness of the Lord when things are good. There is a propensity to remember the goodness of the Lord when things are bad. I mean, who cries out to the Lord when, you know, they're watching TV, you know, they got their job, they're sitting on their couch watching TV, they had a hard day's work, and, you know, they're watching TV, it's it's the weekend, and they're watching TV, sitting on the couch watching TV, they have a nice lunch. Who would turn off the TV and open up their Bible, read their Bible, and spend time in the Word, and do all these things unto the Lord, and just rejoice in the goodness of the Lord? Who does that? Well, the guy's got to relax. You know, he's got his, his job. He's got his time off. And, you know, he's just going to relax. It's no big deal. Okay. I get it. I get it. But it's in those moments where there is a propensity. I have to emphasize propensity. There is an increased chance of a person forgetting the Lord. But then say, for example, right there on the couch, the guy has a heart attack. He's rushed to the hospital. They're pumping him. They're doing all kinds of things. They revive the heart. The doctor comes in and says, look, your heart is all messed up. We got to do triple heart, quadruple bypass, whatever it is. And there's a 3% chance you'll live. There's a huge chance that you're going to die, but there's a 3% chance you're going to live. Do you know it's in those moments where the guy would be like, oh my goodness, I have to seek the Lord because these doctors, they're the best in the world and they can't do, they're telling me I have a 3% chance of living. And that's what I'm talking about. Jerusalem and Babylon. We're going to see that in the Old Testament. In Jerusalem, you start to see people forget. But in Babylon, you see a bulk of people, a majority of people remember, but it's in the course of time. It's the same in the church. I mean, we see this played out in Revelation. I don't want to say played out, but I mean, you see it played out. I don't want to say that, but I don't know how else to say it. You see it played out in Revelation. When nobody cries out to the, to the Lord, nobody cries out to the Lord. And as plagues increase, you know, you see like people refuse to repent. More plagues, they increase, people refuse to repent. All of a sudden, it gets hot and heavy. And then all of a sudden, people started to fear the Lord. You're going to see that. Now, how does this happen? A propens- How is it that there is a propensity to forget, an increased chance, and in some cases, likelihood to forget? How does that happen? Of course, each individual has their personal responsibility. 
Of course, every individual, when you stand before the Lord, you're not going to stand there with husband, wife, kids, grandparents, grand, you know, whatever. You're not going to stand there with their best friend, pastor, elder. It's just going to be you and the Lord. You and the Lord. It's your personal choice. But in the Old Testament, we're going to see that this increased chance, this propensity to forget is also, also a result of leadership. Kings and priests, the religious leaders, you're going to see that they also bear responsibility. You see it in the Old Testament among the kings and priests. When they go afoul, you see what happens to Israel. Now, Jeremiah has his personal responsibility. He made his choice. Isaiah has his personal responsibility. He made his choice. Hannah has her personal responsibility. She made her choice. Ruth has her personal responsibility. She made her choice, and they all chose well. But look at Saul. Look at Eli. You see? Look at the aftermath. Look at the result of Saul and Eli across the land. You say, well, okay, that's Old Testament. Hold the phone there, my friend. It's also in the church. You say, wait a second, I've got you. We have responsibility, personal responsibility, you know, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, absolutely true. But look at Corinth. Look at the defunct pastors in Corinth, the defunct elders in Corinth, and look at what happened in Corinth as a result. The milk drinkers of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3, the milk drinkers of Corinth to the point where Paul has to say, you guys, you're rejoicing. It's not a good thing. You rejoice in the Lord, but it's not a good thing. You see, wait a second. These are Christians who are rejoicing. That has to be a good thing. Okay, you can look at it. Is it a good thing? With carnal eyes, you see people, their hands up, they're worshiping the Lord and praising the Lord and singing unto the Lord. Hallelujah. But what's really going on inside the temple? You see the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, all kinds of things, works of the flesh. For three years, uncorrected by the defunct leadership in Corinth. And it came at a heavy cost. You see, the, the saints, the believers in Corinth, they made their choice. The defunct elders, the defunct pastors, they made their choice. But Chloe made her choice as well. Chloe, you know, she could have gone to the big church in Corinth. She could have gone to where everybody was going, but she says, no. I'm not, you know. I'm, there's no There's no food there. There's no... Look, it's the defunct pastors, it's defunct elders. I'm not going there. She made her choice as well. And these are things that you see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It just so happens we studied this a little bit on Sunday. Remember the caliber? When Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, you know what type of men we were. You know what caliber of men we were. Now, it is that caliber of men. 
I mean, compare that caliber to the, you know, I don't even want to say caliber. I mean, I, you know, just to make the comparison, you say the caliber, you, know, you take the caliber of Paul and his bubble with Timothy and Titus and Silas, and you take that bubble and you compare that with the caliber. I say my air quotes because I don't, you know, I don't even equate them to caliber, but you take that caliber of pastor and elder in Corinth. It's almost like no comparison. I mean, it is no comparison, but I mean, in terms of caliber, I wouldn't want to yield to the pastors of Corinth. I wouldn't want to submit myself to the pastors of Corinth. Because look, three years, milk drinkers. It's it's beautiful to be on milk, but for babies. I mean, you know, sometimes I like to think of it like, you know, a beautiful little baby. A beautiful little baby got the diapers, you know, they drink their milk. They do the little burpees from now and then, you know, the little tap the back and you hear the little burp. It's oh, so cute, you know. They got the diapers, you change the diaper, they got their binky, all these things. Oh, little baby, change, put them on the table, change the diapers. Okay, it's a cute little baby, put them down to sleep and, you know, everything's beautiful. Okay, that it's just a moment, a temporary moment in time. But what if you do that with a 30-year-old? You see a 30-year-old, at, you know, at the grocery store with the little binky, the bottle and diapers. It's like, what a sec, this is disgusting. 20, you know, 25 year old, 30 year old, never had a job, always dependent on parents, walking around with a diaper, the binky, that little bib. It's like, wait a second, this is gross. This is disgusting. You have an adult male here and he wants to behave like this? Who are the parents? Who raised this guy? It's disgusting. And that's in a carnal sense. But what about spiritually? What about spiritually when Christians, they're on milk, they're brand new believers. A year goes by, they're still on milk. Two years go by, they're still on milk. Five years still milk. Ten years still milk. Twenty years still milk. It's like, wait a second. Where is the maturity? And where you see this lack of maturity or even no maturity in Christ. It's in those moments, in the, in, in the process of time, a person can find themselves estranged from the Lord. I mean, in the case of Corinth, you have a guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. I don't like bringing it up, but that's like, that, that's what was happening. A guy is having sex with his dad's wife. You have the extortion, you have the alcohol, you have the drunkards. It's like, you know, for three years of arrested development, no growth. And for three years, no pastors, no elders corrected them. And for three years, that's a, that's what the, the, the fruit of the flesh, the nasty, disgusting, rotten fruit of the flesh, that's what it led to. So it gets to that point. And then all of a sudden, now it's like, okay, now we have to separate. Now we have to separate. This is leaven. This is the remnant. Now, you know, when Paul says your rejoicing isn't good because there's leaven in the camp and a little leaven leavens the bunch. But now for a moment, I meant for a long time, we've been looking at the remnant, the remnant, that little mention of the of the leaven and what happens to the leaven and the leaven can be grafted back in. But, you know, it's the aftermath of repentance and a return to the Lord. 
And we've been looking at the remnant. The remnant we continue on and you know the for the rest of uh first Corinthians, for second Corinthians, in Galatians there's even mention of the remnant and you know all these different aspects focusing on the remnant, how the remnant can grow and mature and advance in Christ and, and when I say advance I mean like to to exemplify growth. But now let's look at the leaven. What about the leaven? No longer, no longer in union with the remnant. Something happens. To, something happens to that individual group of people. But let's boil it down and speak individually. Say, for example, I like using you and me as examples when it's the good stuff. But say, for example, you and me. We were identified as leaven. We were identified as leaven. And then something happens where it's like, you know, there's that that anger. Oh my goodness. How, how dare Paul say this? How dare he? Look, God is love and he's not loving. And there's that initial anger. It's just it's human. It's, it's, it's the human fickleness of humanity you know we're, we're fickle creations you know when when god says you know he, people are like sheep you know sheep aren't the the smartest tool in the shed so to speak just the the fickle nature of humans male and female you know we're you know there's no growth and maturity in us i'm speaking for example i don't like saying this but i i, I have to And you and me, we look at each other. How dare Paul say this? Say we were the drunkards. Say we were the extortioners. You know, look at the sexual sin. You know, so much so that a guy is having sex with his dad's wife. And so much so that even the non-believers, they don't even do this. And we're with that bad bunch. What Paul says is leaven. Paul is calling us leaven? How dare he? That's not very loving. He says, he. you think he's a, a messenger of the Lord? How dare he call us leaven? That's not loving at all. I'm going to go to this other church across the street. <laughs> well, the, the guy will whisper sweet nothings into my ear. So you and me were, were hurt. Say we were the we were in the extortioner group. A little little drunkenness from time to time, and it got out of hand, and we were among the drunkards and extortioners. And we're hurt. We got our feelings hurt. Our, our little feelers got hurt. Remember, we're fickle. Now, in that locale, so to speak, what happens? And it could take. It could be in a week, it could be in a year, it can be in five years, it can be in ten years, it can be in whatever time period. Don't forget, the 11-day journey in for Israel, the 11-day journey turned into 40 years. Don't forget that. And so you and me were bummed out. We've been counted among the leaven. We're mad at Paul. How dare Paul? How did Paul find find out? He's he's way over there on the other side of town, on the other side of the... He's way over there. How did he find out? 
you look at me and you say, I bet you it was Chloe. She ratted us out. See, she snitched on us. Oh, that dumb Chloe. How dare she? Those Christians that meet in her house. Oh, they're so stupid. I can't stand them. How dare she? She thinks she's better than us. And she wants to go around gossiping and tells, writing these letters to Paul saying all these things. She's like reporting to him what's happening. How dare she? She's such a gossip. And in the course of time, a week passes, a month passes, a year passes. And you and me, our hearts are still hurt. We might go to, oh, this guy, we went to this other church. He whispers sweet nothings to us. He tells us everything's fine and dandy. He says all these things and it's a big psychology class and a therapy session. And oh, yes, all these things are good, but... Man, I'm still on alcohol. Man, I'm still extortioner. Man, I'm still, you know, there's no, there's no fix to the human condition that you and me were trapped in. And we think, okay, I'm going to go to this church over here. The guy's going to whisper sweet nothings over here. And I like what he says. He makes me laugh. He makes me feel good about myself. And yeah, I get drunk. And yeah, we go out and party. Yeah, we get drunk and do all these things. And yes, we extort money and all these things. But oh yeah, I like going to this church because he makes us feel good about ourselves. I can laugh. But deep down, I know I'm still filthy. Deep down, you know you're still filthy. A month passes, a year passes, two years pass, three years pass. It's like, man, I'm still filthy. You look at me and you say, man, me too. I'm still filthy too. We look at each other and we're like, man, we're still filthy. Then we start to realize maybe, maybe there was something to what Paul was saying. Maybe there was something to... What Chloe was saying, I thought she was the biggest dummy on the planet. But you know what? I get it now. I understand it now. Because I went to the defunct, and what did I get from the defunct? Defunct. Remember, the caliber. Look at the caliber. Just like we looked at in 1 Thessalonians 1. Then we start to realize like, okay, there's this really defunct bubble over here and there's nothing, no, no power, no Holy Spirit. And yeah, we, the guy teaches and yeah, we get this head knowledge, but there's no power, no Holy Spirit. It's just like going to a school class. Yeah, there's an aspect of learning, but then we look at Paul, we look at Chloe we look at that caliber. And yes, we learn, but the learning is like it's coupled with straight up power and straight up Holy Spirit. It's a completely different caliber. The caliber of the defunct and the caliber of the spirit. And then just like what happened in Peter with, with Peter in Acts 2. We're cut to the heart. And it's in those moments where we realize we are wrong. We are wrong. You and me, remember, we're, we're in the Levin camp just for a brief moment of time. 
And we realize, oh my goodness, we were wrong. You see? And that's, it's, it happens Old Testament, New Testament, and even today, it's been happening since the very beginning. And that's what we see here in verse 1. Just like he says in verse 1, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you. Where the Lord your God drives you. Remember, Jerusalem and Babylon. Jerusalem and Babylon. How is it that we're in Jerusalem? I mean, you see it in Israel. And when I say when we're in Jerusalem, I'm speaking very metaphorically, metaphysically, and supernaturally. How is it we find ourselves in Jerusalem? Well, that's a result of obedience. How is it that we've, uh, uh, we find ourselves outside of Jerusalem? Well, that's a result of disobedience. I mean, look at Assyria. Assyria ain't Jerusalem. Babylon ain't Jerusalem. And then look what happens here. In that example I gave where, you know, you and me were in the camp of the leaven. And all of a sudden we realize, oh my goodness. You know, we went to this defunct guy across the street. We went to this, you know, I was so mad at Paul. I was so mad at Chloe. And you look at me, you're like, oh man, you know what? I'm I'm right there with you. I, I hated them. And we've been fellowshipping over here among the defunct. And yeah, we, we learn a little bit. It's like a big therapy session. You know, psychology. It makes me laugh. All these things. And nice guy. All these things. But we still feel dirty. You know why? Because we are still dirty. And then we realize... We have sinned and we need to be cleansed. Now, when this remembrance happens, oh my goodness, I've sinned. Remember, it's you and me. And I say, oh my goodness, I have sinned. And you say, oh my goodness, me too. And then we look at each other, oh my goodness, we're in sin. That's what he says here in verse 1. You call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And when remembrance happens, still the same thing. Balls in your court. Balls in our court. So in this example, all of a sudden we realize, oh my goodness, we are in sin. Just straight up. A little late to the party, so to speak. But you know, it's like we come to the realization, okay, Paul was right. We come to the realization that, okay, Chloe was right. We didn't like it at the time, but, you know, as time progressed, we started to realize, okay, they were right. Look at the heart. It has been brought to a place of humility. And when this remembrance happens, let's look at verse 2. And you return to the Lord your God. It's so powerful. When this remembrance happens. Remember in the example, you and me, we were 11. 
And in the example, you and me, we hated Paul. We hated Chloe. We couldn't stand them. Oh, look, they think they're so self-righteous. They think they're so this. They think they're so that. Chloe, I can't believe she wrote that letter. I can't believe they conspired. All those, the ladies in her house at the ladies Bible study. I cannot believe they conspired against us. And they wrote this letter to Paul. And then who sent it? Who was it that ran it to Paul? Who is it? I hate them so much. They're so judgmental. And in the course of time, we realize, oh my goodness, Paul was right. Oh my goodness, Chloe was right. And that's what's so beautiful about repentance. It's a return to the Lord. Genesis to Revelation. Return to me, return to me, return to me, return to me, return to me. Repent, 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 repent. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. What happens when they forget? Return to me, return to me, return to me. I mean, we look at Deuteronomy 28 when we see the blessing and the curse. It's like, wow, the blessing, it's beautiful. And like He blesses our socks off and it's like, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful, this first part. Of, or the, you know, the, the, the 20% of, you know, Deuteronomy 28, but you look at the 80% of Deuteronomy 28, whoa, that's heavy. Surely we don't, surely that's not said of us because we're of the elect. Well, election is beautiful, but there are prerequisites to election. It's beautiful. This return to the Lord. Now, in that example I gave, it's not you and me returning to Paul, you and me returning to Chloe. It's you and me returning to the Lord. Now, heeding what the messengers of the Lord were saying, Paul and Chloe. We hated them before, but as our heart was humbled, we start to realize it's you and me that were in the wrong. You see? You're in Jerusalem, rejoice. You're in Babylon, repent. You're in Jerusalem, rejoice and don't forget. You're in Babylon, repent and remember and come back. It's a return to the Lord. That is precisely why the Lord uses and chooses very specific vessels. Not to judge and condemn, but to, yes, judge. Remember, judge, there's crino, anacrino, and diacrino. Crino, anacrino, and diacrino. There's more derivatives, but those are the three biggies. Crino, anacrino, and diacrino. There's only one that is forbidden. A pastor can't say, okay, you're going to burn in hell. A pastor cannot say that. A pastor could say, you know, if you don't repent, if you're outside of Christ, then, you know, you're going to, it's going to, straight up lake of fire, straight up weeping and gnashing of teeth, burning in hell, hellfire damnation. But a pastor has no right, biblical right, to tell a person, you will burn in hell, straight up. That's only for the judge. That's only for Jesus Christ. But a pastor can say, if this person doesn't repent, then they're going to burn in hell. If this person dies without Jesus Christ, they're going to burn in hell. 
We make these assessments and determinations. All believers. Crino is to condemn. That is forbidden. But to anacrino and diacrino, to judge and make these determinations? Paul does it. He tells Timothy to do it. Chloe does it. Remember you and me in the example, we're in the uh, the uh, the camp of the leaven. And how we were so incensed at Paul and Chloe. How dare they? I can't stand them. They think they're so self-righteous. How dare they judge us? But not once did they say, hey, you're going to burn in hell. Not once. But they still judged in exercising their responsibilities unto the Lord. And they still made these determinations and assessments to say, listen, you're leaven. You are leaven. In order to say a person is leaven, judgment has to happen. That's anacrino and diacrino. Not judging like, you know, hey, you're going to burn in hell. But a judgment that says, listen, you're straight up leaven, which isn't good. Leaven for three years, uncorrected, defunct. And a little leaven leavens the bunch. And yeah, we had our feelers hurt. Remember, we're fickle because we're in the flesh. We're very fickle, very sensitive. You know, little snowflakes. You and me, we're snowflakes or we were snowflakes. We had our little feelers hurt. Oh, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe Chloe wrote that letter. I can't believe the ladies in that house. I can't believe they said all these things. They were so judgmental. Yeah, they were judgmental. But it was biblical judgment. Paul and Chloe were not in the wrong at all. You and me as Levin, we were in the wrong. And the Lord uses these people. I mean, look at how bad things have to get for for the Lord to bypass priests. For the Lord to bypass the Kohanim and use Samuel. For the Lord to bypass the people who were responsible, who were given the task. And all of a sudden say, you know what, Isaiah, you say this. Hosea, you say this. Amos, you say this. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you go and say, thus saith the Lord. And Ezekiel was kind of like, you know, a little like, you know, you know, I don't want to hurt their feelings, Lord. And the Lord says, okay, I get it. I'm paraphrasing. But the Lord tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, if you don't tell them what I tell you to say, then it's your blood. I mean, the Lord drives a hard bargain. <laughs> but if you tell them, Ezekiel, exactly what I tell them, tell you to say, and you tell them, then their blood is on themselves. It is not on you. Put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes. Put yourself in Ezekiel's sandals. Where, you know, wow, you know, I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to make them hurt. I don't want to make them feel bad. But then the Lord says, okay, I get it. But if you don't say what I tell you to say, their blood is on you, Ezekiel. And that's what happens to the messengers of the Lord. Servants of the Most High. Like little Timothy, 
He becomes pastor. He's a young pastor. And then all of a sudden you have these pastors. They got their big churches. Pastors saying this and pastors saying this. Oh, surely we're going to listen to this guy. And then little Timmy comes to town. What? Where did you go to school, Timmy? Where did you go to school? You're just a young little pipsqueak. You think we're going to listen to you? Look, this guy, he's old. He's got his white hair. He's got his beard. He's got his white. He has his little, his spectacles. Look, he's smart. Surely this guy knows what he's talking about. You think we're going to listen to you, little pipsqueak Timothy? Except Timothy's been in a very special bubble. Charged by the Lord. Appointed by the Lord. As an overseer. Yes, he's going to say things that are going to hurt little feelers. But he's a messenger of the Lord. Then comes the realization that, remember in that example, you and me, we were in the leaven camp. And there's that realization, oh my goodness, we're in the wrong. What happens? Repentance. I mean, you know, balls in our court. I say repentance happened because I, I want repentance to happen. I mean, if we, you know, we start to realize like, oh my goodness, Paul was right. Oh my goodness, Chloe was right. But you know what? I still like the crack. I still like the sex. I still like the drugs. I still like the alcohol. I still like the extortion. Then that's where we get into like, you know, that's bad territory. That's like the re-crucifying of Christ. That's like Hebrews 6 territory. Where it is impossible to restore such a one. That is when hearts go from, you know, from pine to stone. Not good. Which it still happens. It does happen. And it's happening exponentially in the last days. And it will continue to grow exponentially in the last days. But you and me, our hearts became pine. Say we're right at the verge, became pine. And then all of a sudden we return to the Lord. Now our hearts go from pine to jello again. Nice and soft. You see? It's beautiful. That's any time in the Bible before judgment, God's judgment, orge, God's wrath. I mean, it just so happens we looked at this on, on Sunday. Any time prior to every time in the Bible prior to God's wrath, every single time prior to God's wrath, there's always a door of mercy and grace. Always. Always. I mean, look at Jonah and Assyria. Jonah and Nineveh. There's always. And the Lord sends his messengers out. Tell my people to return to me. Tell them about me. Teach them about me. Tell them the good news. Tell them I love them. Tell them that this isn't good. Tell them that that isn't good. Tell them that I'm not pleased in this. Tell them that I'm not pleased in that. And the messengers who are obedient to him. Okay, Lord. 
I will tell them. In obedience to you, Lord, I will tell them. Now, those messengers in the Bible, those messengers are killed because the people don't like what they say. It's very beautiful what they say. There's a very strong purpose behind it, a return to the Lord. But it's very abrasive to the carnal man, to the carnal woman, very abrasive. I meant for Paul to say, your rejoicing isn't good. For Paul to say, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? For Paul to say, if you have no love of truth, then the Lord will give you strong delusion. For Paul to say that God's wrath is revealed on individuals. For Paul to say that God has given people up. For John to write about names being blotted out of the book of life. For Peter to write about people who were once Christians, once among us, and now they've abandoned the work of the Lord. For Brother James to say faith without works is dead. How can they utter such things? If God is love. How can they say such things which hurt our little feelers? If God is love. Yes, God is love. But there is no corruption in him. Remember the Disneyland example? Oh, yes, son, we want you to... We want you to have a nice time at Disneyland. So, you know, here, you fake this. Yeah, I, got, I know you got your beard. Shave before you go to the ticket stand. Tell them you're nine years old. Tell them you're ten years old. And talk with a high voice because we know your voice is deep now. And the son, okay, pops, does exactly what his dad tells him to do. Does exactly what the mom says to do. In obedience to mom, in obedience to dad. And you look at that, you're like, okay, that's a good thing. Look, he's obeying his parents. But the formula is wrong in the parents. Kids, my beautiful young brothers, my beautiful young sisters, you have to understand these things. I don't care if you're 10 years old, 8 years old, 12 years old, 15, 17, 18. You know, 18, we get into weird territory because it's like, okay, what are you doing it? What are you doing living with mom and dad still? 19 years old, you're not, you know, it's, 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 it's odd sometimes when like people come to me, oh, I got a problem. I got a problem. What, what, what's the problem? Well, I'm having problems with my mom. Um, how old are you again? Oh, I'm 21. I'm an adult. I'm 21. Uh, okay. Um, how is this a problem when you shouldn't even be under that roof? I just, I just call it like it is. Call it like I see it. You know, the young adults. I get it. I don't get it. And I do get it. I don't get it because it's like, come on, let's grow up. But then I get it because it's like, you know, I guess I don't get it. But 
understand there's a fear of getting out in the world. There's a fear of, you know, getting a job and having a good job and, you know, having an apartment. And I, I get that. I get that, you know. But we're in this world. We're not of the world, but we're in this world. Don't be a freeloader. You want to be a freeloader? You know, have no job and, you know, live at home and, you know, hi, mommy, what's for dinner tonight? You're like 25 years old. Hi, mommy, what's for dinner tonight? Hi, daddy, what's for dinner tonight? And they're, you know, they're old. They don't, they can't, your parents can't work like they're 20 years old. Parents can't work like they're 25 and 30 years old. They're old people now. And kids want to milk? Yes, milk off of that? I mean, just like the 25-year-old with the binky. Me personally, I think it's disgusting. That's just me personally. I think it's disgusting. I think it's gross. So going back to the example, 18-year-old moving out of the house now. 18-year-old daughter, 18-year-old son moving out of the house now. Parents get mad sometimes. How dare you tell my 18-year-old to move out? Why? Did you not raise them right? Oh, the world is dangerous for them. Okay, understandable. How did you raise them, mom? Oh, the world is dangerous for my daughter. Okay. How did you raise them, dad? Are they equipped for the world that you knew they would enter? Are they equipped for that world? I see it. That's it. It's just, it's just, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelers. In that earlier example, you know, the kid says, okay, pops, I'm going to shave. I'll talk with a higher voice. I know my voice is nice and deep, but I'll talk with a higher voice. And, you know, I'm 18. I get the big muscles. I'm 16 years old. I get the big muscles. I get the beard. I'll shave pops. I'll shave mom and dad. Yes, I'll listen to you, mom and dad, because we want to have a good time at Disneyland, get our nice cheap tickets. And you look at that and you say, well, okay, he's, he's, the Bible says obey your parents. The Bible, and he's doing that. Kids, kids, kids. My young brothers, my young sisters. You have to make these distinctions. Are mom and dad obedience to the Lord? If the answer is no, be very cautious. Be very cautious in how they direct you in conduct. Hey, son, I know you got the bulging muscles. I know you're 16 and a half years old now and you got the big beard and I know this, I know that and... You know, baby girl, you're not a baby anymore. And, you know, I want you to pretend you're nine years old and get the cheap tickets because we're, we want to bless you at Disneyland. We want to give you the, they, they like to candy coat and like to speak in, you know, Christianese. We want to be a blessing to you. As your parents and you've, you've been so good to us and you've been such a blessing to us. And, oh, God is so good. He speaks, they speak Christianese. Oh, God is so good to us. And yeah, we want to we wanna bless you with these Disneyland. We're going to have a nice time at Disneyland and nice meals, nice hotel. And we're going to fly over there. And um, so we want you to lie now. 
We want you to lie about your age so we can, you know, kids fly free and, you know, kids, uh, you know, we just pay the adult rate for the hotel. Uh, we pay the adult rate for our Disneyland. We pay the adult rate, you know, with a special restaurant over there. We, uh, you know, the kids eat for half price. And, you know, if you're under age 10, you get to eat free. So, you know, hey, son, you know, you're kind of short. So pretend you're nine years old. The Bible says kids obey your parents. And we look at the formula. Yes, obey your parents when the formula is right in them. But parents encourage you to be disobedient to the Lord. You do not obey that. Son says, I'm sorry, pops. I cannot lie. Baby girl says, I'm sorry, Pops. She's not a baby anymore. I'm sorry, Pops. I'm sorry, Mops. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pops. I'm sorry, Mom. I can't lie. I'm not nine. I know you want me to be nine so you can get your cheap tickets. I know you want to be to bless us at Disneyland, and I, I get that. Now, kids, you don't have to be disrespectful. Like, you know, you know, get behind me, Satan, you know. You don't have to be disrespectful. Just say, look, I, I can't lie. I cannot lie before the Lord. You want me to lie, but mom, dad, I cannot lie. You see? Because you take point in that home, kids. Mom, dad, you're encouraging me to be disobedient to the Lord. And I cannot do that. And it breaks my heart that you are encouraging that. And you, in even saying those things, want me to be disobedient to the Lord. And you say God is sovereign? Whew. You better act like it, Mom. You better act like it, Dad. You say God is sovereign? How come you don't act like it? You see? Even then, a parent can realize, oh my goodness, I'm in the wrong or their heart can get hard. Their heart can go from, you know, jello to, to, to balsa to maple to oak to pine. And dreadfully, I hate to say it, but it's in the realm of possibility. Stone. Remember, we want hearts to be jello. A return to the Lord is what we want. And when there is a return to the Lord, it's okay. Let's stay in the Lord. Old Testament, New Testament. Today. You're not in, you know, you're, you're not abiding in Christ. Okay. Return to him. Abide in Christ. Now you're abiding in Christ. Okay. Rejoice. Let's stay in Christ. It's not once saved, always saved. It's once, stay, once saved, stay saved. That's the biblical model. Look what happens here in verse 2. And you return to the Lord. You remember, and you call them to mind in verse 1, among the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today. You see, according to all that I command you today. Now, is Moses boasting? Remember, this is old man Moses. And he's saying, according to all I command you. It's like, who? How, how does Moses have the right to, to command? He's a vessel of the Lord. Is he boasting? No, 
He's of a different caliber. He's of a completely different caliber. This isn't Korah saying it. This isn't Korah saying, according to all that I command you. This is Moses saying, according to all that I command you. Look at the caliber. He says, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul. You see, it's deep within. He says in verse 3, that the Lord your God. You see, it's him. It's not Moses saying, hey, return to the Lord and, you know, uh, come be with me. He said, return to the Lord. And, you know, Moses isn't saying, hey, it's me that does this. Paul doesn't say, look, it's me that does this. It's not Chloe that says, look, it's me that does this. It's all to the Lord and the hand of the Lord. We see in verse 3, remember the Lord is reactionary. He responds to repentance. Returning to him, he responds, absolutely. He says in verse 3 that the Lord your God, it's his hand, it's all him, will bring you back from captivity and have compassion, which is compassion in the Hebrew here, is to be merciful, compassionate, and loving. We'll have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Remember, location as a form of God's chastisement. We see location as a form of God's chastisement. This could be literal. This could be um, a state. And when I say a state, it could be a state of mind, a state of heart, a state of locale. Remember, when we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 28, you see when the curse was like in the city. I mean, I don't want the curse. I don't like the curse. But the curse in the city is a lot better than being cursed and, you know, going back to bondage in Egypt. When the curse is straight up Egypt, not good. When the curse is straight up death, not good. But when the curse is, you know, a curse in the city, very good. Why? Because a little tap tap. We can very quickly get back to where we need to be. Old Testament and New Testament. But when we ignore the heeding of the Lord, when we ignore the word of the Lord, when we ignore the yielding of the spirit of the Lord, you say, oh, but the Holy Spirit is directing me because I prayed to the pneumos. I said, you know, dear Holy Spirit, guide me here. Remember, you open yourself up to the pneumos, you're open to the pneumos. And when you're open to the pneumos, you have to have the, 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 the knowledge of the word of God, which is a gift of the spirit in order to understand this spirit is holy and this spirit is evil. Because remember, Satan presents himself as an angel of light. People pray to the Holy Spirit, open to the pneumos. Oh, Holy Spirit, guide me, guide me, guide me, Holy Spirit. And a spirit speaks to them and says, okay, I want you to do this. I want you to go over here. Okay, Holy Spirit, I will do that. It's like, wait a second, what? What is happening here? To talk to Christians 
and under the counsel of another Christian, under the counsel of so-called prophets. They say, oh yeah, God wanted me to get a divorce. Who did you pray to? Oh, Holy Spirit, guide us. Guide me here, Holy Spirit. Guide me, Spirit. And the Spirit speaks, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Spirit that I prayed to told me to get a divorce. And so I heeded the Spirit. Got a divorce. Now I got all these kids. Kids with this lady. Kids with this lady. Kids with this lady. And the Holy Spirit wanted me to get a divorce. Now, you know, oh, I need some counsel. Can you help me with counsel? What's the problem? What kind of counsel do you need? Oh, I'm having financial troubles. Okay, what's the financial troubles? Well, I can't, I can't afford this. I can't afford that because I got to pay child support over here, child support over here, child support over here, child support over here. Can you counsel me? Sure, no problem. You're stupid. You're stupid, straight up. Idiotes in the Greek. You were a fool. You played the fool. And now you're reaping what you've sown. How did you get to this place? How how did you? How did you find yourself? How did you get to this position? Well, I prayed, you know, this prophet told me. The prophet told you? Who's the prophet? This guy over here, this lady over here. Let's 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 look the let's look the crackhead aside. Let, 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 let's let's put aside the fact that they're you know crackhead, little crazy. It's like oh brother, this is there's really no counsel. I mean the counsel is look you you played the fool, and you've played that role very well, and you're reaping what you've sown. What's the problem? You have to, you know, child support. You you have to do that. That's your seed. You have to be, you know, you, you want to put on the big boy pants and, you know, do this, do that. You know, there's strings attached. You see? You want to play house with this lady? You want to play house with that lady? No, you need to return to the Lord. You heeded the pneumos. Because you prayed to the pneumos, you open yourself up to the pneumos. And the spirit that told you this, the spirit that told you that, in accordance to the so-called prophet. Where it's revealed, that ain't no prophet. Because the word of the Lord says, I hate divorce. God says, Straight up, thus saith the Lord, I hate divorce. And yet here we are. You need to return to the Lord. And that comes through repentance. Oh, but make these problems go away. That's impossible. That's not going away. You have to reap what you have sown. You sowed this, okay. There's strings attached to everything that you sow. You did this. People say, oh, I repented, Lord. Now, okay, everything's back to normal. Everything's fine and dandy. Pretend it never happened. 
and with the Lord, with God. You know, he throws, you know, the, 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 as far as the east is from the west, with the Lord. But with people, that's a little different. You know, with some people, you know, to forgive and forget, that's with some people. Not a lot. To forgive and forget, that's not with everybody. You know, to, we forgive, yes. We forget, yes. But then with some, based on whatever was reaped, sometimes we forget and we remember. With some, forgive and forget. Why? Because a person says, I'm sorry, I've repented to the Lord, I should have never done this, and I'm never doing it again. It's never going to happen. Okay, forgive and forget. You have a brother, you have a sister. In Christ. Come on, let's let's continue to go along together. You know, we all make mistakes. We're in the flesh. We're in, in these earth suits, I should say. We're not in the flesh. We're in the flesh, but we're not of the flesh. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in these earth suits. Forgive and forget. Come on, let's move on in Christ. But a person says, hey, I'm sorry. I've repented to the Lord. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done this. Okay, I forgive you. But then he keeps doing it. She keeps doing it. A week later, oh, forgive and forget. You know, look, I, I repented to the Lord. Okay. And then it keeps happening. Repetitive. Over and over. It's no longer forgive and forget. Now it's forgive and remember. But the Bible says we got to forgive thousands of times, 70 times. Okay, I get it. You've forgiven. But with some, you have to remember. Why? It's not because of your forgiveness. It's because of their repentance. You see, where there is none. Oh, I've repented to the Lord. Well, to repent, um, repentance unto the Lord is a turning away from the sin. It's not like, okay, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, I repent. And then, you know, an hour later, it's back to the same old thing. That's a dog who returns to the vomit. A pig who wallows in the mud. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Oh, you caught me, Lord. Look, I was caught. I'm sorry. No. That's not how it works. Yes, forgive and forget. But with some, it's forgive and remember. Why? Not because of your forgiveness. In all cases, we forgive. Except it's a matter of their repentance. When they say, sorry, Lord, like it's okay, sorry, Lord, I got caught. I'm not changing my heart, but for this moment, I'm sorry, Lord. You have to be wise. You ever see Christians who are just straight up basket cases because of, you know, they forgive and forget with everybody? Oh, the Bible says we got to forgive and forget. No, it doesn't. The Bible says, you know, forgive and forget. That's the Lord. He, as far as the east is from the west. The sea of forgetfulness. He takes our sin and throws it in the sea of forgetfulness. And praise be unto the Lord. But to ask a Christian to forgive and forget, that's a tall order. 
Because the person has to exercise wisdom. The Christian has to exercise wisdom. Even more so in these last days. As hearts grow cold. As hearts wax cold. And the love of men waxes cold. And the heart of men will fail. And as he who restrains is lifted up. Even more so in these last days. We have to be wise. Then you have the manipulators who say, Well, the Bible says you got to forgive and forget. No, it doesn't. It says I have to forgive. And I do forgive. But look, we've been around the block here a hundred times. Your actions do not permit me to forget. I forgive you. But I can't forget. Otherwise, I play the fool. Otherwise, I take part in your manipulation. Because to repent is to turn away from sin. What's up with the crack? What's up with the sex? What's up with the strippers? You see? We have to be wise. And we're talking about godly repentance. Repentance unto him. We're not talking about, okay, I'm sorry, Lord. I got caught. I'm sorry, Lord. We're not talking about that. We're talking about straight up cut to the heart. Like, what have I done? We're talking about when a soul is cut to the heart. Oh my goodness, what have I done? You see? It's deep. And when that happens, we see verse 3, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. And we see in verse 4, if any of you are driven out of the farthest parts under heaven, from there, from there. Now, understand this can be, this is a state. It could be a state of mind, a state of heart, state of locale. It can be location and or state. Old Testament and New Testament. For me, the, the, the starkest, most palpable reality of this being far from the Lord was jail. Beautiful, 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 blessed bars of jail. What have I done? Sometimes people, you know, mostly moms, you know. Oh, my son's in jail. It's so terrible. My son's in jail. You know, go rescue him. Go do this. Go do this. It's like, wait a second. Jail was a beautiful place for me. Because it was there that I realized my separation from the Lord. Jail worked wonders for me. I rejoice. It was painful at the time, but I rejoice. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are. Look what is written here in verse 4. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there. I don't want to lord over anybody. I don't want to, you know, uh, be like a you know dictator. 
But highlight that from there. From there. I mean, if you're willing. Underline, highlight. If any of you are driven to the out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there, underline or highlight that. From there, the Lord your God, not might, not maybe. The Lord your God straight up will gather you. You see? From there. For me, jail. From there. You figure you're in jail. Like, how could the Lord be in jail? Are you kidding me? He's, he's everywhere. Everywhere, anywhere. Even in the belly of a whale, he's there. He looks at the heart. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry you got caught. Oh, my wife caught me, so I repent. I'm sorry. Oh, look, the police caught me, so I repent. Look, I'm sorry, Lord. Next day, back at it. Next week, you know, back to, you know, the strippers. Two weeks later, back at the casino. That's that's dangerous territory to be on. That's dangerous ground. That's, that's when hearts turn to stone. That's like, you know, Hebrews 6 comes into play. That's why, you know, from time to time you hear us say, we don't care where you're at. Stripper, you're a prostitute. You're like a, a straight up gambler. You're like, you know, an alcoholic, you know, crackhead, meth and all kinds of whatever. I don't care. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Just as is written here in verse 4, from there, you're on the, 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 the doldrums of society and you're like strung out on the street corner. From there, you repent right there. From there. I mean, if I could describe the, the jail cell that I was in, it wasn't like, you know, you know, anything fancy. Concrete everywhere, iron bars, dirty floors. But it was also holy ground for me. It was holy ground for me. Because from there, from there, the Lord my God rescued me. I tell you these things from experience. I don't care. You're a prostitute. Used and abused. And I hate to be crass in saying that. Used and abused. But you're a prostitute and you realize, oh my goodness, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into? Lord, forgive me. I repent. And you're used and abused. You're on the street corner. You're at the cheap motel. You're at wherever. I don't care. Let that place be holy ground. Because from there, and remember, I say these things from experience. The Lord, your God, will gather you. And from there, as is written in verse 4, he will bring you. You see? 
He will bring you. I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. Anybody's walk. But if you are willing, highlight the from theirs in verse 4. From there, highlight that. And at the end of verse 4, it's in the middle. But at the end of verse 4, from there. You see? You hear us, I don't want to say rail, but you hear us say things against Calvinism and Reformed theology. They call it theology, but it's really a theory. It's not to rail against the Calvinist and Reformed theory people. In one sense, it not to the not to the people, but to the pastors. Yes, it's a, it's a different ball game when I speak to pastors and the teachers. It's a different ball game when I speak to the parishioners, the pews. It's it's it, that's a different set of rules. When I speak to the parishioners, and that might be you, that might be you, where you sit in the pulpits of a Reformed church, you sit in the pulpits of the Presbyterians, you sit in the pulpits of a Calvinist church, and. I say unto you, come out of her, my people. Because it is extremely poor theology. It's wrong. But it maligns the character of God. Because look, the prostitute used and abused. Look at the fruit of the flesh. Therefore, she's predestined to hell. Oh, but she was a Christian once in her life. And you know what the Calvinists say and the Reformed theory people say? Oh, they were never saved. She was never saved. She said she believed, but it wasn't a saving belief. She was never saved. He was never saved. And rather than the Calvinist... Rather than the Reformed theory person, than the Presbyterian understanding sound doctrine and holding on to sound doctrine, they hold on to the false theology. They hold on to the false teaching. They hold on to the false theory. You see? How I would speak to a Calvinist pew person is completely different than how I would speak to the Calvinist pulpit person. The pulpit person, it's a different ballgame. You see? It's a different ballgame. Why? Because they know. The pulpit person knows. They have a responsibility to know. And if they don't know, that's even worse. When I told you about... The three-hour, four-hour conversation I had with a guy who wanted to be a pastor. I've heard him give sermons. And everything he was saying was in accordance to Reformed theology. We had this long conversation, about four hours, three hours, 45 minutes, somewhere around there. And at the end of it, he looks at me. Well, I straight up tell him, listen, that's idolatry. What you're speaking about is idolatry because you speak of another Jesus. It is not the Bible that says what you espouse. He has a smirk on his face and he says, I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. He knew exactly who he was. You see? The pulpit 
I speak differently to them. Then I do the pews. The pews, gentle. In all cases, I call it like I see it, but the pews, gentle. The pulpit, it's a different ballgame. Because in the pulpit, the shepherd can stand. Also, the hireling can stand. And also, the wolf can stand. You see? When the formula is right, there's only one that can biblically stand. The others bring harm to the flock of God. You hear me talk about the prostitute used and abused. Maybe that's you listening and you've been used and abused. Be it prostitution, drugs, alcohol, I don't know. Used and abused. And I've had these conversations with people who are Satanists, former Christians. And they hate Christianity. They hate God. They hate Jesus. How could this be? Why is it? Dear Satanist, how is it? And they start to tell me about Calvinism. They don't know it. But they start to tell me about Reformed theology. I needed help. I needed help. I went to this church and I needed help. They would never tell me about Jesus Christ. They always impose this Christian uh, government on me. They imposed this on me and finally it was said that I've, I was never a believer. And, you know, they said these things that, you know, they talked about predestination being to heaven and predestination to hell. And so everybody says I'm predestined for hell. They gave up on me, all these things, and I needed help in my hour of need. I got nothing. So I hate God. I hate Jesus. And Satan welcomed me in. I've had very recently these conversations with the Satanists. And it's kind of, it's kind of funny because you figure like a person who adamantly hates God and you know, here you're talking with this guy, you're talking with this lady. Yeah. And the majority of times, it's very interesting for such a time as this, the majority of times when they're former Christians, they say they're former Christians, they tell me about how they were raised in the church. The majority of times, those churches are Calvinist churches, Reformed theory churches, Presbyterian churches. Because the doctrine of Calvin is wrong. And they say, oh, I hate Jesus. I hate God. I hate church. I hate Christianity. I hate this. I hate this. But Satan welcomed me in. Listen, if that is you, I hate that too. You know why? It is not biblical Christianity. It is not biblical Christianity. They malign the character of the Lord. 
you see? Because John Calvin would say, when you read the Institutes, John Calvin would say in verse 4, if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, you are predestined to hell. That's what Calvin would say. I'm paraphrasing, but when you read the Institutes, that's what he says. But that's not what the Bible says. When you understand the nature and character of the Lord, what does he say? If any of you in verse 4 are driven out to the farthest parts from under heaven, from there, straight up rescue mission. From there, the Lord your God will gather you and from there, he will bring you. You see? It's beautiful. It's a rescue mission. Old Testament, New Testament, rescue mission. The people forget? Rescue mission. Who does he send? His messengers. Who are his messengers? Very special people where the formula is right. Jeremiah, you're up. Isaiah, you're up. Amos, you're up. Paul, you're up. Paul didn't even know it. You know, the Lord told Ananias what he wanted to use Paul for before he even told that to Paul. I wonder what Ananias, you know, when, when Paul could see when he's in his house and Paul could see, he had his eyes back and I wonder if old man Ananias was like, oh my goodness, you better put on your seatbelt, young chap, because the Lord's going to use you. He's going to stretch you. You see, when people forget, who does the Lord use? Chloe, you're up. When people forget, who does he use? Hannah, you're up. You see, Old Testament, New Testament. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. Now, balls in your court. I mean, you, you, you come to the Lord, you know, you, you have this realization, balls in your court, you repent. But now, when, you know, in verse 4, from there, the Lord your God will gather you. From there, he will bring you. Now we see in verse 5, now the ball is in his court. The ball is in his court. In verse 5, then, remember, the Lord is reactionary. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. You see, when you listen to our study in Deuteronomy 28 and we get to the curses part, the 80% part or the majority part, get to the curses part. Each curse, it's like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. Then the next curse, oh my goodness, this is terrible. Then the next curse, whoa, this is terrible. And don't forget the prior curses. You know, like if you're going to, like you, you, like if you look online for like, uh, say you're going to buy something online and there's three versions of it, you know, say it's a, some kind of widget. There's th four versions of the wicket, the, the widget. And then there's four versions of the uh, widget. And, you know, they have version one, very basic. And then you look at version two and it says, you know, everything in everything in version one and more, you know, and then you look at version three, it says everything in version one and two and more. Then you look at the last one, it's like the, the top of the line. It's got everything. It's got everything in one, two, three. And verse four has even more. It's, it's the same thing with the Lord, with blessings and curses. You look at the curses, it's like, oh my goodness, this being out of the city and curse of the Lord is terrible. 
Then boom, the next step, it's like, okay, everything in package deal one, but now you got package deal number two. It's even worse. Then you go even further, okay, everything in package deal one and two, and now it's worse. It just gets worse and it compounds. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. In any one of those stages, the remembrance of, oh my goodness, what have I done? From there, from there, the Lord gathers. You see? And he prospers and multiplies. Again. That's how he works. Old Testament, New Testament, that's how he works. It's beautiful. Why? Because our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name. He loves us. He loves you. See, you're a stripper, you know, used and abused in a, you know, cheap motel, whatever. It's like midnight. It's like 1 a.m. And you're like, you used and abused and you feel like dirt. Let that place right here, right now. You might be listening. Strung out on crack, drugs, whatever it is, strung out on alcohol, whatever mess. Let. The place where you stand, the place where you sit, let it be your holy ground. And that only happens when you, my beautiful friend, even I don't you're Satanist? I don't care. Let this be your holy ground right here, right now. So what happens now? Or you repent. Hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you, right here, right now, you commit your life to Jesus Christ. You commit your heart to Jesus Christ. And boom, from there, the Lord will clean you up. And I tell you from experience. Alcohol, anger, rage, suicide attempts, jail, And from there, the Lord cleaned me up. You see? He'll do it for you. I don't care who you are. Male, female, young, old, I don't care. But you're in Christ, okay, now it's a different ballgame. Now you're in Christ, okay, now it's like, okay, no more sex, no more drugs, no more alcohol. I mean, you know, sex with marriage, you know, that's okay. But, you know, like, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards, you know, not good. We don't want to be milk drinkers. I say rock and roll, but I mean the lines, you know, sex, drugs, alcohol. See, we grow, we mature. Once you're in the boat, it's a different ballgame. You're outside the boat, and you know, that's like rescue mission. You're in the boat, okay, now we grow, we mature. You're in the boat, but you're in the boat, but you're a wolf, okay, time to kill the wolf. I speak to the pastors, metaphysically. You're in the boat, but you're a hireling, okay, get out of here. Throw them by, overboard. Metaphysically. Somehow a wolf finds its way into the boat. Kill the wolf. Metaphysically, not good. That's the that's how the Lord works. Old Testament, New Testament. That's how He works. And so we see here in verse six, 
And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. You see, we're straight up in the Torah, in the law, in this law of Moses. We're speaking about the circumcision of heart, where in Genesis 17, the law, the, the you know, the Ten Commandments wasn't given to Abraham, but the, 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 the commandment of, you know, circumcision, which was according to flesh, according to the, according to man. And yet here we see in the Torah, circumcision of heart. What? Because we see here God's circumcision. Is much deeper. It's of the heart. Old Testament circumcision is with hands. Genesis 17. And up into this point, circumcision with hands. And then we see in verse 6 that the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. This is a circumcision without hands because the hands of the Lord and only the Lord can touch the heart. You see? Just as is written in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. You see? Now you see why the Lord says, Moses wrote about me. Circumcision of the heart. To my Jewish friends, rabbis even, I love you. The Torah, the law of Moses testifies of the circumcision of heart, not of the flesh. And the Lord your God, in verse 6, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. You see, understand that it's the law in itself which leads to Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. Also, in verse, as if that wasn't enough, but in verse 7, also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. You see, my old pastor in California always used to say, the Lord does clean work, cleaner than the mafia. You see, whether it be individuals, nations, the whole world, or gay, God's wrath. Always after thumos. And sometimes it's in the thumos. It's in the tribulation where the Lord gets the attention of people. That's how it works. I mean, we really need not be surprised when we, when, when a believer reads Revelation. We really shouldn't be surprised because we read Revelation and sometimes Christians are shocked. But when you read and study Revelation, if you've been walking with us for a while, we've studied these things already, and we're going to get there again. But we really shouldn't be surprised. Why? Because the Lord is doing exactly what he said he would be doing. Under the curse. Under the 80%. From Deuteronomy 28. He's just, he's just 
doing exactly, 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 exactly what he said he would. And so we continue in verse 8. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you today. You see, restoration. The Lord is in the business of restoration. Old Testament, New Testament, and even today, the Lord is in the business of restoration. You see? But there is false comfort. False comfort is the result of false doctrine. You see? That's why doctrine, sound doctrine. Sometimes people, you know, they get mad at me. You know, they, you know, they contact me. Oh, you know, how dare you say it like this? Or why do you say it like this? Why do you say that? Why do you say that? You're such a stickler on doctrine. You're such a stickler on this. The formula is important. Because there is all kinds of sources of comfort. Which are very temporal. There's only one comforter. It's the Spirit of our Lord. The same Spirit which leads us into the Word and yielding to the Word of the Lord. Another Spirit doesn't do that. Spirits of Satan, the demonic, they will never lead to the Word of God. They will, however, lead to false doctrine, false interpretations. But we have to be very specific to formula. You see? I mean, in the days of Jeremiah, who is it safe to listen to? The priests? The prophets? When the Lord says, Jeremiah, I don't speak to those people. I'm speaking to you, Jeremiah. It would be safe to listen to Jeremiah. The 10,000 teachers of Corinth. Or the one guy, Paul. Who is it safe to listen to? Who is it safe to heed? You see? We see in verse 9. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your hand for good, for good. You see, the Lord desires good things for us. But it's not good things like, okay, let's lie about our age and we get cheap tickets. We get free tickets to Disneyland. Let's lie about our age and kids fly free. There's no corruption in him. We have to obey his word, not in accordance to the law, and obey his word in accordance to the law's fulfillment, which is Jesus Christ, you and me together abiding in him. You see? Look what happens here. For the Lord your God will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. You remember when we started our study in Leviticus and we posed the challenge to start thinking of life as an aroma? Everything, every aspect of our lives to think of them as aroma. 
And what aroma do you want to present to the Lord? We see in verse 10, if, 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 if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which, which statutes, which are written in this book of the law, very specific formula. Very specific formula. I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form, but in accordance to this covenant, and you know, everything written in the law, in accordance to the covenant. But there is a new covenant. There is a new covenant. Remember, the law was written with loopholes. Moses wrote of Christ. Moses wrote about circumcision of heart, not of the flesh. You see? And there is a new covenant in fulfillment of the law. Every aspect of the law, every piece of the law is a part of attributes of Christ. But the whole of it, the entirety of it, is Christ himself. It's like every aspect of the law is like puzzle pieces. Beautiful in itself, but the entirety, all of it put together, Jesus Christ. The law is a shadow of things to come. Remember, the law was the additive to the promise. Why? Because of sin. Until the seed, and the seed has come. And so we see here, in, still in verse 10, And if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, you see, in order for this to happen, ears are required, ears to hear. It's not going through the motions of, you know, like, okay, you know, there was this sin. Okay, here's my animal. Hey, priest, here's my animal. Here, sacrifice, sprinkle here, sprinkle there. Okay, good to go. And I'm going to go back home. Okay, priest, thanks. It's much deeper than that. The cutting of the heart. Oh my goodness, what have I done? Remember, nothing mangy. You know, my turtle dove, it's not the mangy one. This is the good one. Priest, I need to be atoned for. I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned. Ears are required. And in the law, a person learns the fear of the Lord because... You see a guy get stoned, you see a lady get stoned, you're going to learn the fear of the Lord quickly. And I'm not advocating stone. You know, people say all the time, oh, you Christians, you believe in stoning. No, I should be stoned in accordance to the law. That's why I love Jesus Christ so much. Because there is only one who is biblically qualified to stone. Jesus, without sin. He is the only one qualified to stone. And he doesn't stone. Yet, I'll say. That will happen at his second coming. But his first coming, the door of grace and mercy, it's it was wide open, but it's not wide open anymore. This door is closing. Remember, always lead with mercy and grace. That's the Old Testament model for warfare. Lead with mercy and grace. Jesus came as a lamb, leading with mercy and grace. And he was killed. The Lamb of God. 
just like the Passover. But who eats of this lamb? Eat of this lamb. Eat of this bread. Little puzzle pieces. Lamb, bread, little puzzle pieces. Showbread, altar, little puzzle pieces. Tabernacle, holy of holies, holy place, little mercy seat, little puzzle pieces. Grain, new wine, flowing water, puzzle pieces. It's all put together. What do we see? The law points to Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, Son of the Most High. He says in verse 11, For this command which I command you today is not too mysterious for you. See, it's not hidden. It's not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. Now, it's not a mystery. But when the formula is right in one's heart, it's not a mystery. I'm not advocating the law in saying this, but when, you know, back in these days, you see somebody get stoned, you learn the fear of the Lord very quickly. You learn the fear of the Lord, which, biblically speaking, is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning, 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 beginning of wisdom. Then you learn, okay, I'm not going to play games with the Lord. I desire to be clean before the Lord. Now, being dirty before the Lord becomes a big deal. And... Not to speak negatively or loosely of the law, but I mean, you know, the process for being clean again, in some cases, depending on the type of unclean, depending on the type of unclean before the Lord, sometimes it was very arduous. I mean, when you look at like inside of a tent, all, you know, it's not the the person being clean, but then now all the vessels have to be clean, all the utensils, the shelving, everything had to be clean. It's pretty tedious. And not to sound lazy at all, but I meant like, who wants to go through that, you know? And not to bring any discredit to the law. The law is still holy. Then you learn, wow, you know what? You see people, that they're being chastised according to the law, but all of a sudden it's like, you're not. Why? Because not only have you learned the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, you're growing in wisdom, but now you learn to trust in the Lord because like all these people are being chastised and according to the law, but you're not. Then you learn like, wow, you know what? It's safe for me. Then you see Korah, you know, Korah, the, 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 the earth opens up and swallows up Korah and all his followers, men, women, and children. That's when you learn, okay, wow, you know what? I didn't get swallowed up. And you're like, okay, Lord, I trust in your ways. All I did was trust in you, Lord, which is a big deal, even more so when nobody does it. And then something else happens. You fall in love with the Lord. Because it's like, wow, Lord, you really look after me. You really care for me, Lord. Because there's all this destruction over here, this destruction over there. But as for me... Lord, you've kept me safe and you keep me safe. And all you're doing is just obeying him. Behold the blessings of obedience. Which 
When this happens, when you go from fear of the Lord through the law and you learn to trust and love the Lord deeper and deeper and deeper, this mystery, it becomes no longer mystery. Which can be said of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hannah. Very special people. Very special formula in their hearts. Because they had eyes to see and ears to hear. I mean, can you picture Isaiah saying, the sacrifices that you do, it's for nothing? Can you picture what an affront that would be to the religious leaders? Isaiah, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are when Moses says we have to do these things and you're saying, Isaiah, it's meaningless? Jeremiah, we're the elect of the Lord. Who do you think you are to say that these prophets are nothing? And we need to listen to you, Jeremiah? Who in the world do you think you are, Jeremiah? Amos. Hosea. Joel. Zechariah. Who do you think you are? How dare you say that to us? You know what? We are, we are a people of the law, and in so doing, we are now going to kill you, Isaiah. We're going to kill you, Amos. We're going to kill you, Jeremiah. We want you dead, Ezekiel. We want you dead. Because you're the abomination. Do you see the flip? That's what happens. Remember the parable that the Lord Jesus, how the master, how the master sent, you know, all these servants and the servants were killed. And then the master sends his own son and his son was killed. That's what happens. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised when the assumed elect hate you. Don't be surprised. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Don't be surprised. But the mystery for you, it's no longer a mystery. (laughs) Because you have eyes to see and ears to hear. If they want your head, let them take it. See? In verse 12, it is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear, hear it and do it. But the word is in, the word is very near you, you see. To my Jewish friends, The word is very near you. And the word became flesh, don't forget. To tabernacle with you. The word became flesh to tabernacle. Verb. Old Testament, noun. New Testament, new covenant. Verb. Straight up to tabernacle with you. And if you believe my Jewish friend, You hit pause and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to the Messiah, Son of the Most High, Jesus Christ. The word is very near you in verse 14, in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. 
You see, Paul rightfully points to faith. Remember our study in Romans 10, if you've been walking with us for a while? The promise to Abraham was pre-law. And as a result of the faith of Abraham, it was accounted to him for righteousness sake. Righteousness outside of the law? Yes. Righteousness outside of the law. But not the law of circumcision. To those who have ears. In verse 15, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. You see, the great fork in the road, Old Testament and New Testament, life and good on one side, death and evil on the other side. Old Testament, New Testament. Do you remember our study in Romans or Romans 8 to be exact? You look to the left, walking according to the flesh, death and evil. You look to the right. Life and good, walking according to the Spirit. Old Testament, New Testament. Why? The Lord never changes. He never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. I mean, if you listen to our Romans 8 study, be sure to listen to our Romans 7 through 11 studies to protect against Calvinistic inclination which is carnal, and applies intellect instead of faith. In verse 16, In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. A command to love? A command to love? This comes through obedience. You see? Obedience. To the law. I'm not advocating the law in saying that. But in being obedient to the law, if a person is obedient to the law, look at what comes as the aftermath in their result you know think of the law as like you know door number one door main, door doorway number one or we'll say gate number one and the gate which leads to trusting and then that gate leads to you know wisdom and it leads to trusting and it leads to deeper trusting then there's to the love. And once the love of the Lord is reached in obedience to the law, with eyes to see and ears to hear, you'll be like John the Baptist. Behold the Son of God. You see? Now, when we see here how, you know, you see, uh, you know, the command and, you know, you see command and commandment. Command as law is mitzvah in the Hebrew. Mitzvah. Command as law. But as a command is tzava in the Hebrew. So you have mitzvah and tzava. You see, Moses, both Moses and Korah can tava, give commands. 
both Moses and Korah can't tzava, which is to give commands. But of these two, who is it that aligns with mitzvah, the command of the Lord? See? Amen. Korah can give tzava. Korah can give commands. But to yield to Korah and obey those commands is deadly. Why? Because Korah is not a vessel of the Lord. Moses can do exactly the same thing. Give tzava. Give his commands. And yielding, listening, and heeding those commands would be life. Why? Because Moses is the vessel. The only way you can make that distinction is to know the mitzvah. Know the Lord. See? Same thing in the New Testament. Preacher guy comes to town. Remember 2 Corinthians? Preacher guy comes to town. Another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. And Paul is fearful. He says, I'm afraid for you because you guys might well put up with it. The preacher guy comes into town. Okay, we're going to heed this guy. We're going to listen to what he says and we're going to do what he says. But he's a servant of Satan. To heed him, deadly. To heed Paul, life. Also deadly, but a different type of deadly. To heed the preacher guy, a servant of Satan, Deadly in terms of like lake of fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth, that kind of deadly. But to heed Moses, life, but also deadly, that, that means that a person can become deadly and dangerous to the demonic world. Spiritual warfare. See? We see in verse 17, but if your heart turns away so that you do not hear. You see? Now, here... You know, having ears to hear, it's not perpetual. Having eyes to see is not perpetual. It's not like, okay, I have eyes to see and it's I'm going to be that way forever. I have ears to hear and I'm going to be that way forever. No, people can become blind. People can become deaf. You see? When we look at these beautiful passages like, you know, from there, the Lord will rescue you. From there, the Lord will rescue you. You don't go to him. He comes to you. Straight up rescue mission. But in verse 17, if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away, you see the seduction into apostasy. Old Testament and New Testament is the same. Drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. Remember, God is reactionary. Verse 18, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you. Remember, if, remember in in, in verse 17 at the beginning, but if your heart turns away. If your heart turns away now. You know, we read this, it's like, well, I don't want my heart to turn away. Picture old man Moses saying this this to the younger generation. They hear this, whoa, I don't want my heart to turn away. You see, I want my heart to always be in the will of the Lord. 
So they tell their kids, they tell their grandkids. And they tell their kids, like, hey, listen, you always tell your kids, and when they have kids, tell that to their grandkids, tell to your kids and your grandkids and then great-grandkids and all throughout the generations. You tell them. When people forget, you see it. And yet old man Moses says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You see, balls in your court. Balls in your court. This younger generation, balls in your court. Therefore, choose life. Old Testament, New Testament. Choose choose life. God is not in the business of making robots. That's Calvinism. That's Reformed theory. He doesn't make robots. A person must choose him. That's, that's how it works. He doesn't make robots. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Remember the Pharisees, oh, we follow Moses. We're hardcore. We follow Moses. And Jesus says, I don't accuse you. Jesus says, Moses accuses you in whom you trust. Because they don't have eyes to see nor ears to hear that Moses wrote of Christ. Moses wrote of Jesus. That's from John 5. We just looked at that very recently. In verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God. You see, love comes in time. Love comes in time. And it turns into profound love. And it turns into deeply profound love. With eyes to see and ears to hear, love grows more deep and more profound in the course of time. But not always. It can grow that way. It can also decay through blindness and deafness. Balls in your court, balls in our court. For Israel, balls in their court. For Israel today. Jacob today, I'll say. Balls in your court, balls in our court. Profound love for Jesus Christ. It's not a gimme. We're not born that way. But yet it's divinely cultivated. Not with human hands. A byproduct, a result of obedience unto him. And he knows. He knows the hearts. You see? That you may love the Lord your God in verse 20. That you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him. An Old Testament example of cheek to cheek. Remember we just studied that in the Old Testament and New Testament references. Cheek to cheek with the Lord, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, to give them. How beautiful is this? To understand that this promised land, that the next generation of Israel, it's for them. And yes, indeed, it is a wonderful place. 
But very interesting to see here that when God is your life, remember in verse 20 in the middle, he says, for he is your life. This is old man Moses saying to the children of Israel, for he is your life. And when they get into the promised land, it's almost like there's something still missing. The law was designed that way with loopholes. I mean, picture you and me. We're in the camp of Israel at this time. We're hearing, we're listening to old man Moses say these very things to us. Some very pained to hear, especially when we get this, like, you know, Moses, come on, we want a pep talk. We want to hear the good things, Moses, but we understand we need to hear these things. And then we enter the promised land. We get into the promised land. And yes, we have the blessings of the Lord in the promised land. And yes, we fall deeper and deeper and deeper, profoundly in love when we cling to the Lord and he is our life. And we're in the promised land proper. There's something still missing. That's how the law was made. Until the seed Jesus Christ. That's what's still missing. And the word becomes flesh. You see? And even still in verse 14, the word is very near you. But in accordance to the new covenant, we're talking about the word straight up inside And also you and me abiding in Christ. You and me inside the word. Inside the word. How is that even possible? Intellectually speaking, how is that even possible? It's impossible. Intellectually speaking. But by faith, it's a whole new ballgame. Nothing is impossible. You and me together abiding in Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. We're going to end our study here. Lord willing, pick up in chapter 31 next week to the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.